0: I knew I liked boys when I was five years old. Maybe before then, but I was positive at five. Kindergarten, Pease Air Force Base, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Mrs. Easley is the kindergarten teacher. She helps us make butter every Friday. When she's churning the butter, her arms are churning. I know that feeling now. <laughs> I'm in love with her. But I've got two boys, two bows. Some of you have heard this, but two boys named Tommy. One with blonde hair and blue, blue eyes, one with red hair and freckles. Tommy Holly, Tommy Hollister, and Jackie. We had a thing going on. It was lovely. Ménage à toi. They took turns carrying my lunchbox to the cafeteria. (laughs) Yes, I had it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Who will put my chair up on the table at the end of the day? I will, I will. (laughs) Yes, you do it today, my love. Graham crackers and milk and naps. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Naps with your arms like this. Oh, it was a happening. It was quite juicy for five. Um, and this was like what it was. My family was the only African-American family on the base at that time. And we lived in a beautiful neighborhood of white folks who were awoke for, <laughs> for that time. Uh, and then Lisa came, Lisa from Mississippi. <laughs> Lisa came with her little pixie haircut and her southern ways. (laughs) She told my two Tommies that they were now sitting next to the N-word. I know. I know. And I was a nasty N-word. And I don't know, I think this might have hurt more, that I got my chocolate milk from my mother. I was like, what? Milk comes from your mother? I mean, I was five. Who knew? So this was hard. This was a hard, yeah, hard moment where suddenly my happy, well-adjusted little multiracial life, okay, kind of multiracial life, was injected with othering, otherness. Somehow I wasn't good enough. I wasn't othered for being straight and liking the boys. Like from Tommy and Tommy, to Kenan in Chicago, to Kenny Muse in college, to John Jenka now. That was all good. But for me, it was the, di- the color dynamic. The problem of the color line. Think for a moment, for the first time, you were othered in some kind of way for just being you. Just, just pull that in your consciousness for a second. Somebody called you a sissy because you didn't play ball, right? Or they didn't like the way you ran. John and I watched Pariah the other night. Somebody thought you looked a little too butch, hair too short. You have to switch up your costume, put your girl stuff on, and then get to school and take that off and put on the thing that made you feel comfortable. Somebody didn't appreciate you because you were differently abled. You had a lisp or a stutter, or you didn't read as well as somebody else. In a world of tall people, you were petite. In a world of Christian people, you were a Buddhist or an atheist. In a world of, of skinny folks, you were big-boned. Come on. <laughs> In a world of light-skin-is-pretty, you were chocolatey. Be a teenager in 1976 where black lights are all the... Why, Lord? Why the black light? (laughs) You're chocolatey brown, plus you look linty in the black light. That's not sexy. You're discovering that you're attracted to your girlfriends. And who can you tell? Because somebody, somebody is going to make you feel like there is something really wrong with that. Or... You're a little boy and you like Barbie dolls. Hello. Or a little girl and you like trucks. Give me the trucks. We, each of us, have been injured in our hearts, in the United States of America, in the context of our families, in the so-called safe places of our churches, because we don't look like, fit in, seem like, act like, walk like, talk like what somebody decided is normal. Somebody decided is right. Somebody decided that this is how it goes. Somebody say amen. 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 And, and the worst thing about it, for me as a preacher type person, is all the different ways that religion blesses that kind of bias. All of the ways that scripture is the reason to script hatred and prejudice and bias. All of the ways that somehow God is responsible for us being left out, put down, shut down, picked on, and it's God's will for us to feel that way. And the church says amen to that. And it says the Bible says so. The people who are saying the Bible says so haven't read the Bible. The people who are saying the Bible says so don't know what they're saying that the Bible says, but they say it with authority. And then the culture responds. The culture responds with hatred. The culture responds with violence. The culture responds with othering. And we get hurt. I want to tell you something about what the Bible says today. There are six texts in the Bible that seem to be about gayness, homosexuality, same gender loving, they're in Leviticus, they're in Exodus, there's one in Romans, there's one in Corinthians. Almost every rabbi, almost every pastor who does their work will tell you that what's really at work in those texts is violence, Mm -hmm. is dominion, is sex or, or sexual behavior that hurts or wounds or doesn't respect, okay? But let's talk about what the Bible says in Psalm 8. In this beautiful psalm, this psalm attributed to David, David is saying that God, God is this amazing wonder worker, this magician with God's fingers, making the stars and all the universes all of the galaxies. And any of us who thinks that there's only one, you know, watch Star Trek. I'm kidding. There's lots. There's galaxies. All of the wonder of the heavens, God made all of that. And then the psalmist is going on to celebrate at the cellular level how God made all of us, like in in the atomic level, like way down in the teeny tiny places. God is also a A a, a potter, a a weaver, a a crocheter of beauty, a a maker of wizardry and wonder and gorgeousness. That God made all of the things in the heavens and all of the creatures on the earth and that God made them all beautifully, wonderfully, perfectly, exactly the way they're supposed to be. Exactly. In the old black church, you say, God don't make no junk. But God makes beauty. God makes gorgeous. And the psalmist goes on to say that when God made all this beauty, God made humankind to be the stewards of that, putting all the things, it says, under our feet. Now, one could interpret that like, let's step on it. But actually what the psalmist is trying to argue is that the human beings are just a little less than God. I created them just a little less than Elohim is what the Hebrew says. A little less than God. God made us a little less than God and and put us between God and the creatures, God and the creation. So we would be responsible for it, take care of it, steward it, love it, love each other, take care of each other. We who are made just a little teeny tiny less than God, are made in the image of the mysterious one, which is to say, when I look at you, I get a little sense of what God is like. And when I look at you, I get a little bit more. The complex diversity, the beauty, and the wonder of humankind is the only window we have to know what God is like. That's how we know. What God is like. God is a little bit like Jason. Just a little bit like Susan and Claudia. A little bit like each of us. So when we see each other, we can understand the divine. And we are responsible, (coughs) fully responsible, to make sure that the people of the earth understand their child of Godness their image of Godness. We are responsible to create a context of love such that the queer teen in Idaho might find a middle sermon and maybe have his life saved because God loves him just as he is. We're responsible for that young lesbian couple at first kiss, first date. That we are not putting anything in the universe that makes them feel some kind of way less than fabulous. We're responsible to celebrate their unique particularity as part of God's beautiful creation. That's our job. We're responsible to make sure that, that the children who speak Spanish whose families bring them to the border for safety, for asylum. We're responsible to dismantle cages and barriers so that these children can survive and thrive because they are children of God, like we're children of God. And we are responsible. We are responsible for the little girls who are like Lisa. Little girls raised in Mississippi by some mommies and daddies who might have some backward ways of thinking about race. We're responsible to make sure that even Lisa comes to understand that she's a child of God and that the children around her are children of God and we can break down this race crap before it gets started in their young lives. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We're responsible to do that too. I cannot believe that I get to be the pastor of all this goodness, all this beauty, all this love. I mean, it is really hard to describe as a black chick growing up in Chicago with Baptist parents whose expression was always, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Honestly. And mommy and daddy, when they would come to church here, they say, oh, girl, what, how, how did you get to be like this? <laughs> you just love everybody. And I go, you did that. They did teach us to love everybody. And of course, they also had like Southern Baptist, you know, 80-year-old people things, right? They, they, they did. And all of us do, all of us do. All of us have places to grow theologically. All of us have things to undo inside our bodies, inside our hearts and souls. All of us are on a journey, in other words, toward the reign of God, and a journey of letting go of judgments, a journey of caring more and more about each other, a journey journey of growing up theologically, growing up our faith and growing up the God we believe in. We are all on a journey of growing up our God. We're we're in the business of letting go of the pocket-sized guy that's only on your side. We're in the the journey of growing up past the totem, God, you can rub his head and he'll give you your wishes. (laughs) We're in a journey past, we're the only ones God loves to God loves everybody. We're in a journey even past language like God that can limit the thing that is bigger than God, vaster than God, more mysterious than we could ever imagine. We're all in process. And middle family, our mission is clear. We are revolutionary lovers. We're responsible to exegete these texts. We're responsible to read the resources. We're responsible to dismantle the biases. We're responsible to never say the Bible said so unless we know where it is and why it says so. We're responsible to keep our hearts and minds open and we are responsible to love this world to love the heaven into this world, and to love the hell out of it. That's what we're responsible for. So on this amazing pride, amazing Pride Sunday, when we celebrate the beauty, the gorgeousness, the delicious, juicy, fantastic diversity of God's people, when we understand that people love who they love and that that's a gift, we understand that people's genders are their own particular, you know, process, and that's a gift. When we understand that race and ethnicity is a gift, when we understand that age is a gift, and we want our hips to work, but darn it. <laughs> this, this is, this is who we are. And, 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 and this is who they are. And they need us to be ambassadors for the, for the revolutionary love. Love, period. Love, period. Everything else is commentary. commentary. Everything else is commentary. <laughs> Happy Pride, everybody. <laughs> Woo! Happy Pride! Yeah! <laughs> Yeah.